Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. Uh, this week we actually have two good performances from QPR to talk about and what a relief that is. Maybe even some chat about a relegation as well. Who knows? Uh, my name is Alex Bullimore and I am joined once again by Dan Lambert and Micah Chudley. Guys, welcome back. Good to be back. Good evening. Uh, so, as I mentioned, two good QPR performances to talk about uh, as the team managed to secure their first win since Luton away on the 13th of March. Uh, let's start with the first of those good turnouts from the lads uh, away at Huddersfield. A two-all draw. Um, team headlines. Westwood returns from his sickness to start ahead of... Uh, Everyone's favourite youth goalkeeper. Barbe also comes back into the side instead of Sanderson. And Thomas replaces Johansson. So, Micah, in 30 seconds, could you uh, just sum up what happened in this game, please? Uh, Much improved. Um, Honestly, felt as though um, it's, it's one of those situations, I suppose, where I had any other circumstance to draw away at third in the league is a good result but I think everybody's come away a bit disappointed because of obviously the permutations but I thought it was much improved uh, I thought Amos was excellent I thought Chair was excellent um, and to be honest it's probably well it was the best performance since Luton really so yeah that was 30 seconds spot on so well done man wow. um, yeah so yeah like you said much improved performance a few key players turning up I mean Chair kind of puts on a clinic in the second half and we'll get to that when we talk about his goal eventually but let's go back to a reoccurring theme on this podcast we mentioned it last week and I'm sure we will mention it again because there seems to be no effort to change this up but our ongoing efforts to defend corners um, leads to a goal this time we will go through the goal in a minute but Dan straight away what did you think of this goal? Uh, disappointing. I mean, we knew going into it that Huddersfield were very good at set pieces. Um, I mean, just just the general setup as well. Uh, like you said, we'll go into it, but I think Amos dropped out the pack, and you're only four v three with runners, and you, it's not it's not particularly great when you're leaving a man free um, for Huddersfield when they're so so good at set pieces this season. Um, what it was the fifth, sixth minute they scored in. Um, at the time, it felt a bit like not not game over, but it it felt like oh, this could be another another big big score. Um, but yeah, it didn't didn't turn out that way, thankfully. I mean, you'd be forgiven, like you sort of alluded to there, for thinking that oh god, here we go again. You know, kind of when perhaps this is our last chance of get, doing something. Everything's so doom and gloom. And we go conceding from a corner early on. So let's look at it in a bit of detail. Um, this shape that we have at corners that seems to be going on for quite a while now, uh, you've got about three players surrounding the goalkeeper and then four, three players on the edge of the box. That seems to be the main sort of gist of it. There's other players dotted around, perhaps on the edge of the box, trying to close down the type of shot that we saw against Sheffield United that led to their goal. 
But um, there's four QPR players on the edge of the box here. Um, Amos, as Dan mentioned, is drawn away to Mark uh, Turnton, who's made a run to the back post. Now, what you can't see in the highlights is just out of shot is uh, Sorba Thomas as well. And the, those two players, whether intentionally or not, but those two players are going to be, like, in my opinion, quite crucial to the goal that ends up happening only seconds later. Um, Hogg manages to get to the front post relatively easy, gets ahead of field a little bit too easy for me. I guess I don't know what else he could do, in this, but maybe his positioning needs to be a bit better. Um, he gets that flick on. And because of Thomas's and Turnton's runs at the back post, Barbe hasn't at, is the last man there in that sort of three that surrounds goalkeeper. But he knows that there's someone over his shoulder. But instead of marking him or maybe going out wide a little bit more, he feels like he has to play at the ball. He has to try and get the ball away and ends up sort of punting it into the back of our own net in classic, old-fashioned Johan Barbe style. Um, but it's those two players that are behind him, one that is kind of marked by Amos and then isn't really much of a problem anymore but mainly probably Sorba Thomas that he knows is there, but isn't really willing, I don't know, whether he's actually going to do anything about it. Uh, I don't know what you guys sort of think about that, but that was my reading of the situation. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one. I think you've got to track the runners, though, man for man for, man for me. I think initially, if you don't you don't let um, Hog get the flick on, I know it's easier said than done, but um, you generally don't score from that situation. Um, I suppose you have to credit Huddersfield. Um, on the other hand, they are very good at set pieces. They scored one this week um, on Monday again. I think they scored 20 for the season. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just one of those where Warburton said they planned for it, but we didn't execute the, uh, the, the plan. Micah, you mentioned last week that when you saw that, uh, sort of similar setup against Sheffield United. You turned to your dad and said, "This is going to lead to a goal at some point." It kind of did last week. It's definitely done it again this week. Your opinion is coming home to roost, unfortunately. It seems that way, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's 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 funny because I think a few weeks ago, back when we were winning games, I said um, we were all saying, weren't we, that the the change in how we defend set pieces from year one versus year three with Warburton, like night and day. But, you know, both the Sheffield United one, especially, and and, and this one, it's kind of been back to how it was. Um, you know, although I know this is a QPR podcast, but it's a little bit funny, the own goal. Like, it's it's a little bit funny, isn't it? It's, like, it's got that comical element to it, hasn't it? But then again, so is the, you know, if you think back to Barbe's own goal against, was it, Barnsley back in the yeah. last season that was similarly just sort of yeah. like how can it get much worse sort of it was very Johan Barbe it was very Johan Barbe yeah it's like you could have maybe left that and it's it's a goal kick but you've cleared it for some reason into your own net and fallen over but I digress um yeah it's it's it's, it's concerning because it doesn't even feel like it's like we're being outsmarted from corners, it more just feels like we're just switching off and we're just not concentrating. Um, but you know, yeah, yeah, that's all I, can really I mean, say about it. it's interesting that you say that we're switching off and that that sort of like they're not that teams aren't necessarily planning for it or whatever, but 
Dan's mentioned already the fact that they scored 20 goals from set pieces this season. Um, Dan, do you think that there was... I don't think this was the exact goal that Huddersfield would have liked to score with, you know, the way it ended up in the back of the net, but they obviously would be happy with it anyway. Do you reckon that they've planned a bit more around this? You know, they have tried something a little bit different on the corner routine each time to try and suss us out? Um, Possibly. I mean, I think I saw a few moments back... um... Core brands obviously implemented this season. I think there's a statistic that like thirty percent of corners are scored. Um, so like they've they've tried to replicate that by tra- using that in the training pitch by spending thirty percent of their training on corners. So I think they've worked on it a bit more than than they did last season. I think you look at maybe Huddersfield's results, the, how tight their games are. Um, the fine margin of a set piece can change it from a draw to a win or a defeat to a to a draw. You know. Um, so, yeah, maybe they worked on it against us, but, yeah, it was kind of poor at the same time from us. Well, let's actually, while we're on the topic of corners, mention one from the second half, which ended with Sam McCallum, who we will obviously talk about in lots of detail. He was having a blinder of a game, and he clears it off the line. That probably is the, that is the difference between us drawing and winning the game. Uh, drawing and losing yeah. the game, sorry. Um, but, again, it's this... Really bizarre setup where you have got, and it's not even. I could kind of understand it if you've got that the, the edge of the box, those players that are being man marked, if they are all being marked. But against Sheffield United and in this corner situation, we leave four QPR players at the top, and we leave five Huddersfield players for them to deal with. And in the end, Amos ends up with two Huddersfield players on him. Dazelle and Dyke somehow mark the same man. Field is then wrestling with another player, and it leaves Russell at not at the back post, but behind all of this. He is a clear header to send it back in, and then it gets flipped on, and then McCallum makes that brilliant goal line clearance. But you just think, okay, there is some sort of planning going on there. But how come, you know, I mean, Dykes is probably it was probably Dykes's man. Dazelle's ended up with him as well, and yet. You've got Amos like just getting bullied by two other Huddersfield players. You sort of look at it thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we shooting ourselves in the foot? At least have one more player there if you're going to do the man marking. But it never seems... I don't like it because you've got Barbe, sometimes Dickey, in the past, just standing there in front of the goalkeeper. Two of our centre-backs doing nothing. Not even, you know, contesting the ball in the air. You think, why exactly are we doing this? Yeah, and I mean, just going back to what we said earlier, is in the nicest way possible. If Dan knows that Huddersfield have scored twenty set piece goals this season, then QPR knew. The scouts would have told him. Like scouts would have told Warburton. Scouts would have told John Eustace. You know, they 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 will be aware of that. So I'm not saying that they didn't do extra preparation and training for it. Maybe it's just a case that Huddersfield are just really, really, really good from set pieces. But it's like you say, and it's like I said earlier, it doesn't, it didn't feel like the goal or even the McCallum one was anything particularly like clever or witty. It didn't feel like a particularly, like the, the flick on at the front post for the first goal, it's not, it doesn't feel like a particularly difficult thing to stop. It's more a case of like 
we just freeze sometimes. And I mean, you know, fair play to Sam McCallan. I think, you know, we'll go on to the derby game. But um, he's had two, in my opinion, pretty good games, especially Huddersfield away. Fair play to him for making that clearance. But he shouldn't have to, you know, he shouldn't be having to make that clearance. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's an issue that I do worry about going into the run-in um, because it does feel like we've just reverted back to um, nineteen twenty QPR from set pieces. And it just feels like I'm now on the edge of my seat every time the other team gets a corner. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's it's concerning for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, that's enough to talk about negative two-round corners because I'm sure they'll give us more topics to talk about when that our next game gets played soon enough. Um, but let's talk about the first goal. It's a really good move, in my opinion. It's, um, mm. I think Dazelle is key in this as well. Uh, Thomas Amos obviously gets in the, the goal in the end chair. That clip that they put up of the full goal a couple of days later really... It, it was just perfect, wasn't it? It was just such nice. It was nice to see, sort of, classic Warburton QPR, the team that we've seen throughout this season. There's a little glimpse of it again, but yeah, Dan, take us through the goal. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it was um, like you said, it was brilliant build-up play from back to front, really playing through through the thirds. Um, Dizel, Dizel, deserves a lot of credit. Um, line breaking pass to break their break their midfield. Um, then obviously, I think we have a one-two with Amos and McCallum, who finds Thomas between the lines. Um, and there's another little one-two with him and Dykes, and then Thomas is through um, into the final third. And then it's <clears throat> it's really good patient um, build up against at that point quite a set block because I think Huddersfield had about eight nine players behind the ball. Um, we find McCallum on the overlap and. Thomas kind of spins the centre back almost. I don't know if it's intentional or not. And then, um, yeah, Amos can can tap it tap it home. Well, there's two things I might want to mention with Thomas. Firstly, is that he gets the ball originally on the edge of the box, and you think, oh, he's just going to put it in the box. He's just going to cross the ball. But he decides to actually pass it to chair. And in the moment, I kind of thought, what's he doing? But in the, obviously, it turns out in the end to be a good move. He's that's you know a bit more decisive. Uh, from us, you know, when they talk about recycling the ball, that's kind of doing it a bit better than what we have been recently. Obviously, then he makes this run into the box, and he gets credited with the assist. And this is possibly one of the best assists you'll ever see in your life. In the process of falling over, the ball does deflect off his backside into the path of Amos, and McCallum's put a great ball in there. But you know, when you talk about getting a bit of luck, and you kind of the old cliche is, I don't mind. How the ball goes into the back of the net, as look if it comes off his face, his arse, whatever, as long as it goes in, I think that's sort of a little bit of luck that we needed, wasn't it? Um, but Micah, you've talked about McCallum a little bit already. You mentioned at the time to us in our group chat how good of a pop ball into the box this was, but this is exactly what you want to do from that situation, isn't it? Yeah, and it's not even just so much the ball, it's more the fact that um, he was just there. He was on that kind of side of the pitch, providing that width. And again, I feel like every week I, I bang on about the stuff that we all talk about on the pod, but we, we have spoke about the importance of our wing-backs being athletic, being able to get up the pitch, provide a bit of creativity when Chara Willock are marked out of the game. And I mean, 
It's exactly. I mean, that's exactly what we're looking for. Exactly that. And um, you know, we had we had a little bit of a discussion in the chat. Um, we were all a bit sort of a little bit upset because we've all kind of had to accept that you know we probably won't see him at Loftus Road again in a QPR shirt anyway. Um, but yeah, really, really good, really good player. It's a shame that we did miss him. Yeah. Um, for four or five months because I think our season might have looked a bit different. Well, that's again that's something that we've talked about already. The difference between having both Wallace and McCallum fit, just being able to rotate the players. I mean, McCallum wouldn't be as fresh as he is now, but Wallace as a bonus would be fresher and wouldn't be picking up so many injuries when you could strategically just rotate them. And because, you know, they've mm. both proven themselves to be worthy of that spot at different times. But when you've, it's just, it makes so much of a difference, doesn't it? When you're not having to sort of reinvent your side and try and put Sam Field in at left wing back, that injury, as much as the Willock one is important and Sunny Dieng as well, something we've mentioned to each other in the past, that injury really did cost us. And yet only realising it now, after these two performances, what McCallum really can bring to the side, just that energy, that buzz, that, willing to drive forward and the pace we're such a slow side but he is absolutely tearing down that left flank so he's had a fantastic couple of games and like you said he probably won't play for us next season which is heartbreaking I think that the other big shame we have sorry to interrupt the other big shame is I think um, again we obviously get onto the derby game at some point but I think the fact that we were never quite able to get McCallum on one side and Odebajo on the other like for a sort of sustained period of time, mm-hmm. because they both, I mean, you know, I mean, say what you want about Odebajo's crossing, it's inconsistent at best. But um, what they provide in terms of their width, in terms of their athleticism, in terms of their positional awareness going forward and coming back, it's it's it, they, they, it's almost exactly what we, we need yeah. each side. And it's like, you know, we've just not been able to get them together. And now we have, it's almost too late. It's a shame, really. Yeah, it is a bit disappointing. Uh, but moving on from that goal, um, we go in at one all at half time. I think spirits are up a little bit. Everyone's happy with the way it's gone. It could have been a lot worse, I think, would have probably been the attitude from most people. But I thought in the first half, it still was an improved performance. Regardless of that early goal, we certainly grew into the game. Second half, though, uh, in a sort of, not polar opposite, but... A little bit unusual. Normally, we are a second-half side, and we start off by conceding. Um, again, it's another cross. It's a header from uh, Toffolo, who seems to be scoring all the time against us now. Um, Dan, any what were your thoughts on this goal? Um, <clears throat> I was quite impressed with it, actually. I thought the delivery from um, Turton was spot on. Um, it was very... It was very, it was a very whipped cross. Um, I think the only criticism probably is no one was picking up Toffolo's run from the edge of the box. Um, I think at that point, him and I can't remember who their attacker was, but Odebajer had two two runners, and Samfield was a bit late to to the cross to um, to prevent the header. Um, so that's probably the slight criticism. But I mean, I think Toffolo yeah, kind of comes out of the blind side a little bit on Odebajer, yeah. and it's not. I don't obviously you don't hear what they're saying, but you get the feeling from watching it that he's not quite picked him up, and he's not. And obviously, Field hasn't either because he's just in between the line, in between the 
midfield and in between the uh, back four now. Um, so he's kind of I don't quite realise that he's there, and he just sort of pops up, and it's a great header, and like you said, it's a great cross. But it didn't seem yeah, like there I mean, was much communication going on there. No, no, he's probably similar, not similar, but like with the the corner situation, obviously lack of communication to track Hogs run the other the other runs. Um, yeah, I suppose it's just one of those really, and I mean we actually did respond quite quickly to it, um, which is pleasing um, considering probably the lack of confidence we've had over the last, what, five, six weeks. Yeah. And, you know, sort of come if the hour, come if one of our key players and chair has maybe not been on his best form recently, but I'll I'll let our Ilias chair enthusiast, Micah, (laughs) talk us through here. He really did come to the party in the second half, didn't he? And in, in the end, ends up winning man of the match. He did, yeah, he did. Um, yeah, do you know what? Um, I don't know if I can say, I'm, I'm not, I've never met him in real life, but I was very proud of him um, on, on Saturday, um, just off the just off the goal. I think a really excellent finish, excellent technique. It's what I love about Ilias. He, he, he tends to find, as much as his dribbling's great, his passing, whatever, he does tend to find the right spaces in the box and the ball kind of just fell to him and he's caught it first time really sweetly. Um, and he was just, like you said, the whole second half, he was just excellent, didn't stop running, always looking for the ball. Even when he lost the ball, he didn't shy away from it, which is my biggest sort of complaint with him in the past couple of weeks is that he just seems like when he, when the going, not when the going got tough, but when it wasn't going well for him, he kind of shied away from it. There was none of that on Saturday. Um, and then the uh, the interview at the end, which I um I've been reliably informed he asked to do himself. I'm not sure if anybody's seen it, but he sort of sat down. Clearly, after everyone had showered and was ready to leave, he'd sat down in the stadium with Nick London, and basically just you know had a bit of a sort of bearing it all session with Nick London. So um it was it was nice to see that it was nice to see that because um you know he, he he's not at a QPR Academy player, but he's come through the 23s into the first team. And you can see that he does feel like this is his club. He does care about the fans. He does care about how the season's gone. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if proud is the word, but I, I was proud of him on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think it's fair enough because he's, you know, like you said, he's come through those uh, youth sides and now key player in this side. It was nice to see him back to his best again and it kind of I don't know for you but well as you know I've never been sort of resigned to the fact that the season's over I've always felt that we're you know as it's been proven this week we're only a couple of good results away from making a really late push for it again and it's disappointing that it's come to the fact the stage that we are in the position that we are at the moment but having said that seeing him play like that and you think, well, if he turns up like that in two of the three games, we've definitely got six points at least. Um, Because he's a fantastic player and he hasn't quite shone without Willock, which is disappointing. But when he does turn it on, when he's there, he can lead us to potentially getting back into the playoffs. And it was just nice to see him play really well again, you know? Um, so that yeah, a fantastic 
not individual goal, but a good sort of technical finish on the volley. And he ends up getting man of the match, but McCallum probably not that far off man of the match as well. Was there anyone else guys that stood out for you throughout the match? I mean, it's probably easy to say because he scored, but I thought Amos is turning into a really, really good player and he didn't stop running on Saturday. And I thought he was, you know, he, he was he was smart with the ball, didn't do anything to, but it was very Luke Amos type performance. And he's adding goals to his games now as well. So I thought Amos was good on, on Saturday, Friday, Friday. Yeah. Dan, anyone else that you would like to single out for a bit of praise? Um, probably not. I don't know. I thought it was a good collective performance more than anything. Um, I thought everyone did their did their job. Um, but obviously the two the two goals. Um, it just looked it, the performance wise. It was just a lot better. Um, and I did feel at times we could have potentially nicked it. Um, but at the end, I think Amos had that chance at the end, didn't he? The header. Um, well, there we go. You yeah. say we could have yeah. nicked it, and Amos be mentioned yeah. for being for getting that first goal, but. Blimey, if there was ever a time for him to score, that was it. And it wasn't, I'm not going to say it's the hard, it's not the hardest chance ever, is it? <laughs> it's one way of putting it. Right. It, to come away from that game after what we've been through recently, feeling that we've been hard done by during the game, I think is, I don't know if impressive is the right word because that kind of makes us feel a bit sort of small, but we've turned it around a little bit to a certain extent and we got, probably should have come away with the with the three points and imagine sitting here right now with an extra two points on the board mm. imagine how sweet that would feel and it's funny isn't it because there's been a lot of sort of revisionism about our season and people saying oh we've only really played well in five or six games that probably you know was one of our better performances of the season if you'd look at the context that third up against away against third in the league we haven't won for like a month, over a month. And we've gone there and probably should have come away with all three. It's probably one of our better performances this season, maybe. Yeah. And that's the thing as well. People were looking back throughout the season, perhaps to games recently, Cardiff, Peterborough twice, and thinking one of the one win, just one win could one win. put us in there. Two wins would be safe, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it would be a little bit nervous at this point, but you would be a lot more confident if we had just nicked something against Peterborough, when we probably should have, if we hadn't capitulated against Cardiff. Uh, mm. I'm sure there is one other Barnsley game. Well. Barnsley away, yeah. Barnsley away, just a nothing performance. Um, and yeah. in at the end of the day, our season will be defined by those games, by the looks of it. Anyway, seen a lot of praise for Huddersfield uh, get being in their position uh, that they are. And, you know, fair play to them. They're obviously operating on a small budget. But uh, I'm sure we'll touch on this when we come to Stoke. But there has been a little graph that's been published today with the overall squad cost for all the teams in the championship. And uh turns out we spent less in Huddersfield. So, you know, even... Huddersfield darlings of the media as they are the for being in that position and spending absolutely nothing at all you know I still think it's pretty incredible what we've managed to achieve this season when you cut when you look at those teams you look at the fact that Derby have spent more on their squad Stoke have these sort of teams and they're well below us or 
you know, not I think we're far. the seventh seventh lowest yeah. in terms of squad value. So pretty much the majority of the division. You wouldn't be far off. Team. You know, like people say Luton operating on a League One budget, you probably wouldn't be far off saying that about QPR. Yeah. So um whether there is mo- more money in the bank accounts, they're just not willing to sort of part with it at this point and they're being a bit more sensible, I don't know. But I still think what we've done this season, when, when the dust has settled, you'll, we'll look back on it and it'd be disappointing if we don't make the playoffs, but you'll look back on it and think, it's a bit fun, wasn't it? And, you know, like we've done really well to get where we are. Um, but I guess, unless there's anything that you two want to mention about Huddersfield, that is all we've got to speak about there. No. Perfect. No, right, on to Derby. Um, team headlines, Sanderson uh, back into the side. And then everyone else unchanged. Uh, Dan, like Micah before you, you have 30 seconds. Please sum up what happened in this game. Um, I don't know. For me, for me, it felt... I enjoyed the game, but it felt like the quality was lacking at times but from both sides. Um, we kind of cancelled each other out for the majority of the game. Um, and then, obviously, they have to really go for it because, obviously, if they don't go for it, they're going to potentially get relegated. So... They've taken off their left back um, and we've kind of exploited that space um, with a late goal. Yeah. Um, you say that they had to go for it. Maybe they made tactical changes to sort of go after the game a bit, but it never felt like to me that they were really trying to force the issue. I don't know. Obviously, it was a difficult position for them to be in. Reading only really needed to get one point and then that was it done for them. And blimey, did Reading get that one point in the end after making it incredibly difficult for themselves? Um, but I don't know, they never really, as much as the XG says that they were more likely to score than us, never felt like they were actually going to score. Michael, what, what do you think? Like, yeah, I, I would agree with that, <clears throat> to be honest with you. As much as, yeah, they again, you said that the XG was there and, you know, Sky Sports were kind of claiming that Derby had kind of deserved it. When I watched it, I, it's not even that... I just didn't think anyone would score. I felt like it was the most nil-nil game of football I'd, I'd watched. Um, from our perspective, I thought, do you know what, actually, no. I thought it was two teams that looked very, very nervous. Two teams that kind of realised that their season was on the line here. Um, and really, it was it was almost like... It was like a low quality game of chess. It was like two kids sort of playing chess, don't really know the rules. And then I think the game kind of changes, doesn't it, when um Rooney takes off his left back. I think it's Buchanan, the left back, if I'm not mistaken. And he, he throws a striker on, he's sort of chasing the game, Arsene Wenger style. And obviously that sort of opens up that massive gaping hole on the right hand side that Amos kind of just found himself in. Um but no, I no, I never felt like Derby were going to score. I just felt like, yeah, this is a nil-nil between two teams that are kind of too scared to yeah. force the issue, if you know what I mean. And one thing that I was actually very impressed with was our, uh, well, an actual ability to press. Dykes isn't the quickest forward, but he puts in the hard yards. Thomas utilises pace well. And I think we were unlucky. There was a few times where Thomas's pace really did challenge it. Allsop, the Irvin goal. He looked very uncomfortable on the ball at times, but they were insistent on doing that thing where 
that the centre back puts it down first, and then he's going to pass it to the goalkeeper, and then the goalkeeper is going to pass it out. No one quite. Under, I don't understand why they were doing that exactly, uh, but I'm sure there was a really good tactical reason behind it. Uh, but yeah, quite a few times Thomas really challenged the goalkeeper, and I thought, you know, after seeing what happened, nearly happened a few weeks ago to Edison, and then seeing what happened in the cup semi final, it was almost like these sort of. It's funny how these types of goals just seem to pop up all around the same time. And I was thinking that that surely is just going to happen at some point. They're going to pass it to one of our players or Thomas is actually going to get there before the keeper can kick it away. But I was very impressed with the way that Thomas played and the pressing. You've sort of banged on, especially in the early part of the season, Dan, about how we don't really press. Was this impressive for you? Would you did you enjoy seeing what we were trying to do at least? Yeah, <clears throat> I definitely enjoyed it. Um I think I think the selection kind of helped the our press off the ball. I think you look at the front three behind Dykes, Thomas, Amos and um Chair, they're probably the the three most high intense players um our possession on our in our squad. So I think the selection from Wolverton was was um spot on really in that in that sense. Um I mean, I, I don't know how many turnovers we created, but it felt at times, especially in the second half, that um, we could have we could have scored a goal from one. Um, but no, it was impressive, particularly with Derby playing out from the back, like you say. Um, I think I think Rooney is very insistent on playing out from the back, um, so that probably didn't help their cause. But um, yeah, no, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the press a lot different from a lot of this, our season. Yeah, um, Micah, the the f- well. I was going to say the first goal, the disallowed goal. Disallowed goal. <clears throat> Thoughts on this, please. Do you think it was onside? It's a, um, it's a good move, really, isn't it? Route one, Dykes wins the ball. Amos is there in the confident form that he is in. Like he would. Could you imagine Luke Amos doing that two years ago? No way. What is going on with him? He's just turned into like Fernando Torres out of no. He's taken it round the keeper with. I think it's one touch and he's sent the. Sent the keeper for six wins and chips. Ridiculous. Um, I thought, to be fair, at the time, I did think it was offside. Um, I think Amos did as well, because he doesn't really celebrate it, does he? He kind of sort of just, like, jogs off. Um, though, admittedly, I haven't watched the disallowed goal back. So, But at the time, I did think it was offside. I think, having looked at it, it's a very good call by the linesman, but it's so marginal. Um I was very disappointed in the stadium that we didn't manage to uh, score so early on because it would have just settled the nerves. And I don't know whether we would have gone on to absolutely thrash them, but it would have been a lot nicer to be 1-0 up after 18 minutes or whatever it was. But yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one for you know another potential goal for Amos and one for the, all those people that say that Dykes doesn't win anything because he won everything at the weekend. He, he was an app, you know, I am obviously quite biased towards him with my allegiance to Scotland but I felt like he was fantastic he was everywhere he was really you know maybe didn't score and get gets a pretty easy assist in the end but in the sense of off the ball effort and chasing everyone down he was brilliant at some points in the second half he was kind of playing as like a left wing just sort of bombing up and down he was really good um there was anyone else that stood out for you I know you're probably going to say Sam McCallum anyone else I thought Chai was unbelievable. Again, um, <clears throat> again, didn't shy away from it. Almost scored a screamer. 
Um, to be honest, I thought um, Sanderson had one of his best games for us. I thought against Fulham, and even though we lost to Fulham, against Fulham and against Derby, I thought this is this is the, the player. Do you know what I mean? This is the player I thought we were getting. Um, yeah. So I think everybody really had a good game, really, to be honest. Everybody was good. Yeah. Thomas Rannis also. Yeah. Like you said, uh, Sanderson um, had a much better game. And it's something else that I'm just scrolling back through. Here we go. Because there was another. This, Dan, this is something that you sent to us earlier on about centre backs and how progressive they are. And Sanderson's in the block of neither progressive or good in the air, perhaps play a different kind of role. So, I, I, I don't know, like, is this from, like, a very, I guess it's a small sample size, it's clearly not just him playing for us, it's him playing for Birmingham that they would have used for that stat as well. Is it perhaps a little bit un, unfair on him to say that he's not, I don't know, is he progressive enough? Does it? I thought he was fine, you know? Um. Yeah, it's a weird one. I think, yeah, you probably take the Birmingham um, half season into account. I don't think his underlings have generally been good um, for, throughout his career. I think he's progressive, but I don't think he's like Rob Dickey progressive where he can carry it. He can, you know, he can break a line with a pass. I think he's he's probably less comfortable in possession than most of our centre-backs, maybe bar done. Um, but yeah, I think the roles the role he plays is a bit different, obviously. He's by far the most athletic and mobile of our centre-halves. Um, and I think, I don't know how many times he's done it this season since he's been with us, but you see him stopping um, opposition opposition counter-attacks quite a lot. So I think that's been quite good for his role. But um, no, I thought he did well did well um, on Monday. I thought he threw himself in front of a lot of um, blocks. Same with Jimmy Dunn. Um, and yeah, they were both impressive. Yeah, so here we go. Here's a question for you that's perhaps slightly skewed because of his good performance uh, on Monday. But would you have him back at the club for next season, either on a loan or on a permanent? I'm not quite sure what his contract situation is like at Wolves, but if we were able to get a deal for him, would you want him back? Yeah, I'd I'd take him on a loan. Um I I've quite rated him quite highly um when he's been with us. Um I think that just that just the the need for an athletic mobile centre half um particularly in the modern game where most attackers you come up against apart from the the target men are very very quick. Um and our especially our problem this season most seasons under Wolverton has been um conceding counter-attacks because of how open and expansive we are in possession. Um yeah, I'd take him on a loan. I don't think we could afford him on a permanent. I think Mike, his career... Go on, sorry. No, finish what you are going to say. Cut you off. I was just going to say, career-wise, I don't think we can... I think he'll go on to do bigger and better things when he's down the line. Okay, and Micah, would you take him? Yeah. Here's the thing. The player I would take. I would take the player. I have a bit of a problem with loans at QPR because I've felt like in the past couple of years, we've kind of just used loans to delay replacing somebody that needs replacing. And then we get in a situation like the one we're going to be in this summer with a left wing back position, where now we're probably, I imagine Wallace's contract doesn't get extended and we don't sign McCallum permanently. 
going to have a situation where now we need two left wing backs because we didn't get one permanently last summer. So I have a bit, I have a bit of an issue with with loans in in that way, um, especially as it does potentially like, Barbe going as well. Device doesn't seem well, to be in favour anymore. Yeah, now you've got which is what I was about to get onto. You've got two centre basically. Yeah, we probably lose Barbe. I imagine Dickie probably will have some interest this summer, and I think we do need to sell somebody this summer because we didn't last summer. No one knows what's going on with Geordie. Um, so it's more like maybe it wouldn't, I guess in that sense, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he's a rotational option on loan, but it's more like I would rather we just deal with the situation now, get a centre back in, get a guy that's going to be our centre back for the next two, three seasons. And move forward from there, but but the player I would take, I would absolutely take him. I think he's the type of aggressive, modern day centre back that you know will obviously, like Dan said, go on and do great things. But it's the circumstances. Do you think? Yeah. Sorry, do you think though? I, I get, I get the frustration with loans, but do you not think per, we can't have a fully permanent squad and be able to compete at the same time? Because there's a, there's almost so much you can spend on per position. Like you've got to use the loan market somehow for me. Like just just to strengthen the squad. I I agree, but um, I imagine if we were to get Sanderson back on loan, I imagine the situation would be from Wolves's end that they would expect him to play a, quite a big proportion of the games. Whereas if you get the situation like Andre Gray, we've got on loan, yeah, he's probably on like ridiculous wages. But I doubt Watford are banging on the door like he needs to play this week. He needs to play this week because you know. So that, that that's more, I know that's not what the loan market's for, it's actually the opposite way around this more for young players to play. But I feel like in our situation, it just it just makes more sense to fill the squad with loans instead of make it key part. But that, that's just me. Yeah. Um, I think we need to do, just talk a little bit. We did send Derby down with this win. It's a the end of their championship story. The end of not the end of their troubles because their ta- takeover hasn't been completed yet. It could still fall through, and just because they're relegated to League One doesn't mean that everything's fixed for them. What it does mean is that they're probably going to have a good chance of getting promoted from League One. And Rooney seems determined to stay on and coach them towards that. And with him, you would imagine they've got a better chance with him than without him. Um, so, you know, he's doing himself no harm in staying there and he seems to be winning over a lot of people that perhaps didn't like him throughout his playing career, me included, um, just because he was a Man United player. Um, but now they are relegated. It is the end of that championship story that kind of, and all these problems started with that goal from Bobby Zamora. As we mentioned on the pod last week, this has, an, from, from our point of view at least, the time being, it has a nice sort of cyclical effect to it. It started with us, it's ended with us, and they're down now. Any thoughts on the sort of Derby situation and their relegation? They must hate us. <laughs> <laughs> they, they must absolutely hate us. I mean, obviously, it's a bit like, it's just, it's fortunate how it's felt that Reading have come back from 4-1 down against Swansea to score in the last minute and then obviously we'd scored before that and I think our game finished first so but yeah I mean 
Yeah, the, I'm, I imagine their fans absolutely hate us for every last minute goal or late goal we've scored. Um, yeah. Well, what is that? That's obviously you got um, Mackey. Uh, obviously, the key one Zamora, Bon, Gray, Amos. And I think the Our Generation account did mention a Luongo one as well to draw a game at some point. So, you know, that's like five or six occasions where in the last minute we've managed to scrape something out, out of a game, no matter how big the game is. Um, it just, no matter what sort of derby team comes and plays us, we just seem to have a little bit over them. And it's, you know, it's nice to be on the opposite end of something like that for once, isn't it? Like, yes. <laughs> rather than be like, <laughs> oh, we always go and lose at Nottingham Forest in like 140 years. <laughs> Yeah, uh, do you know what? It's yeah. I mean, th- th- there is a part of it that I think QPR fans maybe don't want to accept, which is that we did break the rules ourselves yeah. to beat them. Yeah, because that Derby did actually originally do it the quote unquote right way, uh, and we originally did it the quote unquote wrong well the wrong way. So you know that probably adds to it. Them I mean, we too. kind of. But I guess two wrongs, two wrongs that make a right. No, so. but the, the, what we did is then get fined a incredible amount of money that has led to us. I mean, at the time that fine came through, you would have, I'm sure, many QPR fans would have been scared for the existence of our club, um, mm. with you know record level of money being leveled at us, and they've done well to get to this point where we're much more sustainable and look like we're in a better position for it. But yeah, Derby were, like most fans are, completely fine with breaking the rules up until the moment they got caught Mm. and this whole protracted situation started. Um, You know, other fans, if you probably speak to a Wigan fan, they would probably say that Derby should have been relegated long ago and that Wigan were unfortunately treated but this has been rumbling on for a while and to a certain extent I'm sure they're quite happy that it's that this part of the story is done but like I said next season this takeover isn't finished we don't know what could happen to them you know we have a bit of a rivalry with them and uh, I'm sure like Dan said they hate us but I don't think any of us kind of want them to go out of business for this yeah um for the sake of that's that's six points that we lose. So <laughs> I would like them to stay. <laughs> okay, uh, a lovely cynical end to that. Uh, well, as I was trying to end it on a nice note. Uh, so yeah, Derby relegated with that victory. Um, so the win for us. Let's bring the focus back to the playoff situation. Three points off Sheffield United after they drew with Bristol City. Three games remaining, that's nine points on offer. There is, I think, Middlesbrough still have a game in hand over us, but they're, you know, on a bit of a wobbly patch. Chris Wilder's arguing with the press after the game about what they do and don't need to ask him. <laughs> Our next set of... Did anyone find out what it was he didn't want to get asked? Oh, the best. Oh, right. <laughs> Okay, that's a bit out of order. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, that is fair enough. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he absolutely didn't have to ask him about it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, our next 
set of fixtures. Stoke away, which we will preview shortly. Sheffield United at home. And then Swansea to round it off. You know, I actually think with... Maybe I'm getting a little bit too optimistic, but having played those two games, we've played well. You've got Stoke who are below us in the table. Swansea are below us in the table. And then you've got a chance to go and take points off the side that we need to loot, to take points off. Sheffield United are the ones we're chasing and we've got an opportunity. We're playing them at home right when you'd want to. Like, mm-hmm. Are you two um, starting to get a little bit more optimistic again? I think it's, for me, mm-hmm. I think it's still, still a, a tough ask. I mean, three... I get, I get. There were only three points behind, but then you've got the goal difference as well. Uh, I think yeah, we're like eight, eight behind point. Sheffield United, and I think that's not going to be achievable in one game to catch up with the goal difference, let alone the three points. So, I mean, there is a glimmer of hope, yes, especially with the the confidence we've got over the last two games. But we're going to have to win, specifically like the Sheffield United game. If we win that, maybe I don't know three yeah. nil, that takes a chunk of the goal difference off. But we're going to have to start winning these games with uh, fairly comf- comfortably, um, yeah. And also, it's the fact that what we're four four teams behind for sixth place as well. So we've also got to rely on um, other other teams to kind of drop points at the same time. So it's probably it's doable, but it's, it seems unlikely. Micah. Yeah, do you know what the concern for me is? Not so much Sheffield United. I think if we beat Sheffield United. I give us a good chance because I think they've got Fulham on the final day. So I I look at that and I think, you know, Fulham will be tough um, for them. So if we can beat them, give us a good chance. It's more Middlesbrough for me because having had a look, Blackburn have got to play Bournemouth still. Um, and Bournemouth are obviously still going on for um, automatics. That's not, not closed up yet, I believe. Um, but Middlesbrough, they've got Cardiff, Swansea, Stoke and... And we just pressed it. Um, I'm not saying they're going to win all four of those, but the fact that they could lose one and still be above us with the same amount of games played makes me think, oof, you know, how many times can they slip up in some pretty winnable games? So well, it's not over. Agent Lumley in goal. He's not playing. Well, <laughs> he's well, been let's, dropped. Let's... Yeah. yeah, I think he's been dropped, isn't he? That is he? the yeah. unfortunate thing. So um, hopefully their keeper gets injured or something. That's a bit of QPR goalkeeper syndrome. Um, yeah, it's it's not over. It's definitely not over, but it's a real outside. The thing chance. is, what what you've been saying about like te- results have got to go have got to go our way. Well, the last two game weeks, results have gone our way. In perhaps take times when you wouldn't have expected it. You know, te- like what was it? Blackburn lose to Peterborough the other day. I mean, you know, we've lost to them twice, so it's not impossible to lose them. Blackburn don't worry me though. They've, I think they're on a real decline. Um, yeah, even with I mean, the injuries as well. Side. They are on a decline, but so to a certain extent are Sheffield United because they didn't they lose to someone recently. Lost to Reading and drew to Bristol City. Well, there you go. Like th- these are winnable games for them at the, at the time when it counts. They're perhaps going. Maybe it's a little bit too late, but they're going through the exact same thing that we were a couple of games ago. Yeah. So, whilst there's a little glimmer of hope, I know the goal difference is something that we've got to make up. Um, but it's absolutely still on. Like it could still happen. 
and I think when, Millwall for me. Millwall for me yeah. are the one that look quite good. Well, that's. I mean, Millwall on the side that are bucking the trend. They're the only ones that are sort of looking on the up. Everyone else is kind of hitting a bit of a decline. It's the end of the season. Millwall as well, which are very winnable. Yeah, they've hit the their. They've hit it at the right time. Um, but yeah, it is nice to be back in with a chance and have the, the atmosphere around the place feel a little bit better. But as we mentioned, we do have Stoke to preview. Um, Stoke at the moment, again, another side that kind of earlier on in the season, you might have thought had an outside chance. They've got a very good manager. They've spent a lot of money as well, as we have already mentioned. But, you know, they're very up and down. Three wins from their last five, but their last home victory came at the start of the month against Sheffield United. So, Micah, I understand that you have some insider information on Stoke. I do. Big shout out to Ben Griggs, who is definitely not listening to this because he hates QPR. Um, Ah, Add him to the Yeah, Stoke. Yeah, he's one of many. Him and all Um, the Derby fans in the world. Yeah, um, yeah, Stoke are a weird side. Um, this is their last year of parachute payments, which is why, you know, Josh Madgers come in in January and they had John Obi Macau at the start of the season for some really weird side in that, like, they were stuck between either being like a Bournemouth and trying to just bounce back up with parachute money and also sort of trying to go the, the sort of, like, Huddersfield-y kind of route where they just rebuild instead. Um and then kind of ended up doing both and neither at the same time. So if you look at their squad, they've got names like Phil Jagielka and Joe Allen, but then they've also got some really exciting young players as well. Um, so they're a weird side in that sense. And it kind of felt like this year was the year it had kind of all come together under Michael O'Neill. And um, in December, I think they had something, their season just got completely ruined by injuries. I think they had something like 10 players out, just COVID and injuries. They were missing 10 players at one point in December. Completely derailed their season. Obviously, Harry Suter is now out until um, November at the earliest, I believe. Um, so their season has just kind of, it's been weird. It's been kind of weird in that they were performing better than they expected. And now they're kind of just back in no man's land. But... That being said, it's still a decent side with decent players in that squad. Like, obviously, anyone who knows the work Michael O'Neill did for Northern Ireland will respect what a good manager he is. Um, interesting side in that there's no sort of real distinct style of play. Like, obviously, when you think of QPR, you think of possession and, you know, obviously holding on to the ball, working the ball into the box. With Stoke, it's kind of more like... What is the opposition weak at? How do we exploit that? They're much more of a old school tactical team in that sense. But the one thing that they do have is the counter-attack. They've got some very, very, very quick players on the counter-attack. Obviously, everyone knows about Tyrese Campbell, Josh Madger, obviously, and, and the one to look out for, who I'm sure you know about, Alex, Jacob Brown. By the way, um, he's Scottish. He is Scottish, by the way, everybody. In case you didn't know, can't Alex get in, is also Scottish. Can't get into the side though. <laughs> Just it's too it's too many good players. He's got to beat Lyndon Dykes to obviously, it, really, isn't he? So, obviously, like it's um, a very tough side to get into at this point. Yeah, but I I remember saying to my brother after we lost to Stoke, Stoke are the team that I wouldn't want to face in the playoffs, just because they are very much a kind of we can 
in a one-off game situation, we can kind of go toe-to-toe with anyone if we need to. On top of that, we all know how bad we are in transition, like how easy sometimes it's been at times to get us on a counter-attack. And that that is almost Stoke's bread and butter, in a sense. So it won't be easy. It won't be easy. People need to not look at the league position, not look at recent form. It's not going to be easy. It's, a, it's one of probably... Let me not say it's the worst, one of the worst matchups we could have because I'm going to go and win 3-0 and I'll look like an idiot. But um, it's it's a tough matchup for us. It's not ideal. Look, if you get made to look like an idiot and we win 3-0, no one cares. Actually, yeah, I should say that. Yeah, it's the worst matchup we could possibly have. We're going to lose. Fantastic. Dan, would you agree largely with what Mike has been saying there? Yeah, yeah I don't think it's going to be... I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a... A, a decent game to watch. I think it's going to be quite cagey. Um, I think it was more so tactically, they play quite a rigid three-five-two, um, and that kind of matches up well man-to-man against our system at the minute. So I think it's going to be in a lot of emphasis again on winning our one-v-one uh, duels. Um, I think another thing to look out for is Joe Allen. Um, obviously, on his on his day, he's a, a top top player, and he can he can di- dictate games. So I'm wondering whether we Stick Thomas, who, who will probably play as the ten, um, quite high intense player, obviously. Whether we man mark him, because um, we know what happened at our place when uh, Vrancic had the time and space of I don't know, like well, he had loads, didn't he? And he just took that game away um, when we lost two 0 So yeah, that would be one of the main threats, um, Joe Allen. But they've got some good players like uh, Lewis Baker's been on a bit of a scoring um, run of late. They've got good strikers, some good young centre-backs like Ben Wilmot and uh, Howard Bellis on loan from Man City. So, um, yeah, they're not they're not a bad side at all. Yep. Um, from our point of view, then, what are you hoping, team sheet-wise, who do you want to see? Do you want to see the same 11 that went out against Derby or are we going to be making a few changes? Micah, do you want to start on this? Well, I guess it's the same as last week. Are there any changes we can make, really? I don't think there's there's not really too many. Uh, I mean, first foot one. Uh, would you bring Barbe back in if he's fit? Do you know what? I'd leave it with Sanderson and actually no. Do you know what? No, I would go with I. Hmm. You know, this is kind of no, it's a bit like I'd, squeaky I'd, bum time, isn't stick. it? Do you need your experience there of Barbe, or do you yeah. want Sanderson? He's had, had a good game, but is it time to sort of just say, "Well done, son"? Just. You just sit on the bench and we'll call you if we need you. I, I, honestly, I was tempted to say Barbe and Sanderson, to be honest, Ooh, just because. Really going to be annoying a few because, people there. Yeah, I know. Even myself, because everyone knows I love Jimmy Dunn. But just because what I said about Campbell and Brown and Madja, I feel like Sanderson's got a little bit more pace, but he's got a lot more pace about him than Jimmy Dunn. Um and plus, I love a Dion Sanderson foul. There's two or three every game. I love a Dion Sanderson foul. I didn't like it. I didn't like it when he's playing badly, but now I don't mind it so much. Um, but yeah, I think I'll go Barbe and Sanderson, actually. Dan, centre-back no. partnership, what are you going? Um, I'd probably stick with the same two as um, Monday. Um, probably harsh on Barbe because he had a good game on Friday. Um, but I don't think Dan or Sanderson did anything wrong on Monday. So I'd probably keep it the same. Yeah. The other one that maybe you could consider, I think he has had a good couple of games. 
and he's certainly shown glimpses of what he can do. But would you be tempted at all to have Johansson in over Dazelle just because I would. Yeah, for me, I would. Yeah, for I a think... game like I, I understand Dazelle in Derby in the Derby game and the Huddersfield game, maybe, but the amount of kind of pressure on this game, I think, is more suited to a bit more experience like Johansson. Yeah, I just think as well, like Dazelle had good moments, but it wasn't like he had a good ninety minutes. I don't even know if yeah, he played I, the full ninety. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree on that. I think he's good. He's good technically when he's on his day. Um, but then at times he can be overrun or he can find the game. He can go missing a little bit. Um, I don't know. He might stick with Dazelle. I reckon he might st- after those two games. Uh, but I'd go for Johansson personally. Okay. Um, so I think those are the only really two spots that are up for debate on who we're going to be. What about the um, Odebajo injury? Oh, yeah. Forgot yeah about you know how bad that, that is. is. I'm wondering I'm wondering whether he, um, he brings in Barbe and puts... Sanderson at right back because he can play there. Um, yeah, it's not quite wing think... back anymore, is it? I don't think you can no. really get away with playing a Doma there. No, I agree. No, no, that's true. That's but then the only issue is for me, and we had it, we had it on Monday. Um, I think Amos doesn't. He did well in the right wing spot, but he doesn't provide the width. And there was a lot of emphasis for me on Moses having to come forward as well as McCallum on the other side to kind of create. And even Odebajo, he loves to cut in on his left foot. So you play Sanderson or Kakai there with Amos, you kind of lose all that kind of width on the right-hand side. Um, so maybe he does play a domer and take a gamble. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that we need to look out for because I imagine um, Stoke might look to, to target that area of our, of our game. This is Can I, um, absolutely can I introduce a new segment before we move on? Yeah. I call it Sam Field Yellow Card Bingo. <laughs> so in, in what minute... Do you think Sam Field picks up his inevitable yellow card on Saturday? 14th. I'm saying 14th, nice and early. Get it out of the way early, nice. I feel, no, this, I'm saying 55 minutes. I'm saying just like, like 71. One. This is gonna be a late one. Late in the late game, in the game where he needs to make a like a cynical challenge. Maybe someone's breaking away. Takes him out. Beautiful. All right, I'm gonna write all of these down for next week. 14, 55, and 71. Um, the annoying thing about that, Micah, is that I was just about to say something. I've completely forgotten what it's going to be. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's one away from getting banned, isn't he? Uh, perfect timing. Wow. Yeah. Dom Ball. <laughs> Come to oh, the party. He was, I bet you he was licking his lips on the bench when he got that 14th yellow card. <laughs> how can you... Honestly, I don't know how Sam Field got 14 yellow cards in like 2,000 minutes this season. It's mental. He only started playing in November, didn't he? Yeah, he's had like half a season. <laughs> well, this is that I remember now. The amount of players in this side because of injuries, because of suspensions, um, and I've mentioned it to you guys already, but we could end up with the most maligned, possibly most hated players in this current QPR squad pushing us towards the playoffs. George Thomas, Andre Dazelle, to a certain extent at times, Lyndon Dykes. Don Ball at one half of the season was not liked and was pref- was certainly not preferred as he is now. Um, Dion Sanderson, all we need is Hendrick to drop a ten out of ten. <laughs> it's like <laughs> complete. I'm waiting for Aussie to Aussie to score the well. winner in the final day. Absolutely. Uh, and Aussie. you know what? It just dawned on me, but he didn't. Todd Kane have the number two shirt last season. 
He yeah. did, yeah. And, I, and when he came on the other day, I was like, oh, guy's wearing number two. He's at, it, clearly, like, he went in at the start of the season, like, I want Kane's number and I want it now. <laughs> um, but we're not allowed to mention Todd Kane on this podcast. So we will stop there. Um, I don't even know. Yeah, that is, I guess that is it for Stoke. What I will end with is saying this. We have actually got a decent record against Stoke. If you ignore that 2-0 defeat earlier oh, on the season. Don't say that now. Especially away. You need to go back to the heady days of 2015 and the Premier League. We were playing Premier League football the last time we lost to Stoke away from home. Wolverton's had a pretty good record there. You know, when we won 2-1 up there in his first season, we drew 2-0, I think, under McLaren there. And we won, obviously, at the end of last season. I think that was when Ozzy Kakai came to the party and scored his goal. His what? Like, must be one and only goal for the club. So, if there's ever a time, Ozzy, do it again this Saturday. You absolute hero. But that is it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much to Micah and to Dan for joining me to discuss everything, uh, everything QPR across this last week. This very busy week. Um, we'll be back next week again to discuss Stoke and preview Sheffield United. So do keep your eye on your podcast provider to get the next episode as soon as possible. Uh, do follow us all on Twitter. I'm at Alex Willemore 3 on Twitter. Dan is Dan Lambert underscore 8, I think. Uh, just underscore. Underscore, sorry. Uh, and Micah has got his QPR Twitter account, uh, Life in Blue and White, which you can find on Twitter if you type that in. Obviously, follow our generation on Twitter. I think we've got an Instagram page as well. If you want to just boost boost our follows on that, that would be lovely. Um, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you do get your podcasts. Uh, until next time, come on, you ours.